Hi, I'm Jack O'Halloran, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is the 164th edition of On Screen and Beyond, and this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as remakes, sequels, new movies, and, of course, TV and movie DVD releases, and our interview segment. And this week, we have another great guest coming away, Jack O'Halloran, who played Non in the Superman and Superman 2 movies. Now, remember him, he didn't talk at all, but he was one mean guy. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. Jack's going to be here. We're going to talk about the Superman movies, and we're also going to talk about his boxing career that he did before he was uh, an actor. So that's going to be interesting. We're going to talk with him in just a few minutes. And anyways, it is just about time to get into finding out what is coming away as far as remakes. It's next, right here on Remake Madness on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, it looks like a remake of Stephen King's Carrie is in the works. The original was a 1976 film, which starred Sissy Spacek, and you can check that one out. It's a really good film, but, um, you know, after watching it now, it's got a very low-budget feel to it, uh, but it's still a great movie, so check it out. And they are also remaking King's It, which starred uh, back then with uh, Harry Anderson and John Ritter, and Tim Curry back in 1990. So they got a couple of Stephen King films coming your way. They're going to be remade. That's it for Remake Madness coming up next on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming movies next. Upcoming movies, well, Turkey Bowl will be a comedy about two families that play a yearly football game, and it gets very, very competitive. It will star Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg, and Alec Baldwin. So be sure to check that one out. Vin Diesel is heading back to comedy with a film called The Machine. Now, in this film, he's going to play a robot that looks like a human made in a government project. The project is scrapped, and 20 years later, he's reactivated accidentally by a child. That sounds very familiar to the plot of 1992's Forever Young with Mel Gibson. We'll see what they do with that one. And Ian McKellen and Judy Dench and Gillian Anderson will star in The Curse of the Buxom Strumpet. Now you ask, with a name like that, what is this film? Maybe a weird name, but it's a zombie film. So <laughs> look out for that one. All right, that's it for upcoming movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's time for Sequel City to find out what's coming away as far as sequels. Next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, it looks like, the, well, this one's not a sequel, but uh, Titanic will be coming out again. It's going to be re-released in theaters on April 6th, 2012. This time, it's going to be in 3D, all right? And a sequel called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D will continue the story from 2003's remake. Only this time, it will be, yes, in 3D, like we said. And 2013, get ready for Jack Sparrow to return in Pirates of the Caribbean 5. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TV on DVD, well, September 6th, No Ordinary Family flies to DVD with Michael Chiklis and Julie Benz. And the fifth season of Mr. Ed comes to DVD on June 21st. And on August 30th, the seventh season of Desperate Housewives comes to DVD. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, Movies on DVD. Movies on DVD. Now, here's a bunch of films that are currently in theaters. And we're going to give you the dates, or at least a rough date, when they're going to be coming out on DVD. Bridesmaids is looking to come out in September on DVD. And Water for Elephants, with Robert Pattinson, of course, is slated for a September release also. And Pirates of the Caribbean in Stranger Tides is scheduled for an October release on DVD and Blu-ray. That is it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we have a, a great guest coming your way, Jack O'Halloran. Now, Jack has been, he's, he's done all kinds of films and things, but everybody remembers him as Non from Superman and Superman 2. And he was a contender for the heavyweight boxing championship. He's going to talk about all those things, and it's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest is a former heavyweight boxing contender who became an actor and is known for his role as Non, one of the three Kryptonian supervillains in the movie Superman and Superman 2 with Christopher Reeves. It's Jack O'Halloran, or, or should I say Irish Jack O'Halloran. Jack, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you. Very, 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 very nice to be here. You know, Jack, uh, when I was looking over the information about what you've done before, you know, your acting, uh, you, I didn't realize that you were a boxer. Yeah, well, I uh, I played a little football, and then I uh, and I left football when I was about 23 years old, and uh, and went into boxing, and I started that down in uh, had my first few fights down in Philadelphia. And, uh, and then I went up to Boston in uh, 1960, I guess 66, the, the winter of 66, 67. And, uh, and I pretty much stayed there for a long time. I had a lot of fights in New England and, uh, before I started moving all around the world boxing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, with the movie The Fighter that was out recently and everything, it, it, it was boxing in Boston, uh, like you see in, you know, all those films, the Rocky films and everything, where you're in the, the little rundown uh, boxing training place there? <laughs> Was it that Yeah, we had a gym on Friend Street, um, Al Clemente's place. It was uh, like four stories up. <laughs> you had to walk up to it. Really? It was, uh, yeah, there was, uh, 
it was like a typical, you know, old boxing gym. It was great, though. I mean, it had a lot of character. And, mm-hmm. Well, in fact, Dickie Eklund used to train there. Really? Uh, I knew Dickie well. Huh. Wow. Dickie was, uh, we, we actually, we showed Dickie a lot of things in boxing. He was a very good fighter, Dickie. Really? Dickie could fight. Yeah, yeah. And he was just, you know, he just couldn't keep him, uh, couldn't keep him out of the alleyways, you know? Uh, yeah. It was very sad because he, uh, he had a lot of ability. There was a, there was another. There was a few fighters that came from the Lowell area. There was uh, another fighter uh, who was really a talented, talented middleweight by the name of Carney, and uh, he could fight. I mean, God, because he fight. And you know, it was just, it was an era where you know Lowell just had a, a low. Uh, they they had been hit economically very badly back in the sixties, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so they had a lot of young kids there that were tough kids. And I mean, they, they could they they could fight, but they just couldn't you couldn't keep them out of the alleyways. You know, yeah. it's really sad. I mean, Jeez. we took Dickie Eklund to London one time and, and tried to lock him up over there and, and put him with a great trainer around Terry Downs. And um, there was a, there was a great trainer in Boston, Johnny Dunn. Johnny Donaruno was his name, but. He's, he's, Johnny Dunn, they called him. He was a boxer. He trained a few world champions, and one of them was Terry Downs, who was a middleweight champion out of out of England. And um, we took uh, Dickie Eklund over there, tried to tried to uh, put him into a better environment, and he kept sneaking out the back window. I mean, you couldn't keep him couldn't keep him in the house. He was he was just destined to be self destructive in himself. But, and his brother came along. His brother was was a decent fighter. And yeah. I was a, a little amazed that they didn't put the Gotti fights in the movie because they were tremendous. Uh, wow, what bloodbaths they were. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. they're talking about making a second feature of, of the film, too, so maybe they're going to add those in or something. I don't know. No, they might. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that came after he uh, won the WBO title. He uh I mean, they were wars. He he fought this kid Gotti, and they were just blood. They were wars. They were wow. great fights. They'll go down as classic fights. Mm. But uh, Mickey's a nice kid. I mean, I don't know him well, but I knew Dickie very well. Yeah, yeah. So now, when you were young, growing up, was your object to become a boxer? Is that what you were planning to do? I, you know, I I, I always liked it when I was younger, and I and I was a tough kid in the street, and uh, I had a. Um, a, um, a a grandfather who was like who was my mother's stepfather. He uh, he was a real tough Irishman from South Philadelphia, and and it was a you know the, you ever see the the movies Any Which Way But Loose with uh, with Clint, uh, Clint Eastwood yep. where he used to fight those smoker fights. Yes, yeah. Well, this guy was the best smoker fighter in Philly. I mean, he was a real good looking Irish guy. Boy, he, he could fight, you know, and they used to. Card and things. He used to fight people on the bridges and stuff. And, uh, they were like smoker fights. And he taught me the fundamentals of boxing because he, you know, in the streets you were always, you know, always getting into something. And uh, so he uh, he prepared me a lot, and you know, and it got me a, a, a thirst for it, and I had a natural ability for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I went to in Philadelphia. I started out and. I was undefeated down there, and then I got into a little trouble in the street, so they sent me to Boston, and <laughs> um, and, and I never lost a fight in New England. 
Wow. And, uh, I, they, they had me ranked as, you know, like an up-and-coming contender. And, uh, but I was my own worst enemy. I, you know, and then I, I contracted a disease called acromeglia, which not many people knew about. And it was a, it's a pituitary growth hormone deal. And, uh, you know, it's, you go through some mental things where, you, you know, the, I remember when I went and got a fixed at the Mass General by Dr. Raymond Schober, who was a pioneer in uh, eradicating the tumor. And he, uh, when I first went to see him, he said, you do what? I said, uh, I said, I'm a fighter. He said, how? How can you possibly do that? You know, and I just never thought anything about it, you know? Wow. But, uh, you know, and I was kind of a, a crazy hooligan in the streets. And, you know, you, you take a fight on two days' notice or, because you can fight, you know, you don't care. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of. Uh, you know, you look back at things, and uh, I think if I if I would have ever trained um, as diligently as uh, an Ali or something, then Ali and I we were signed four times to fight, but we definitely would have been in the ring. I mean, uh, wow! Yeah. I had uh, I had a lot of natural ability, God gifted talent, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I remember when I fought Kenny Norton, I took the fight on four days' notice. Four days? Wow. Yeah, I had a lot of problems down in Jersey legally, and they called me and asked me if I wanted to fight Norton, and somebody dropped out of a fight, and I said, where's the ticket? <laughs> and I gave Norton one of the worst lickings he ever got. Really? You know, and, uh, and I stayed in California and, and won the California State Heavyweight Champion, and I was New England Heavyweight Champion, I was Pennsylvania Heavyweight Champion, and I was, you know, banged around uh, title shots a couple times, but I was too busy being a hooligan in the streets, you know? Oh, jeez, so, yeah. And it was sad. You know, it was a, like I'm not a God-gifted talent that I never really took advantage of. But, you know, I, I was inducted in the Hall of Fame out here, and I had a, I, I beat some pretty good fighters in, yeah. in, my, in my career. So, you know, it was a, but I, I kicked myself every once in a while. Yeah, I know. And then I went into the film business, and, you know, the rest is uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Now, in your fighting, like you say, you you fought Ken Norton and George Foreman, and uh, who do Alvin you Blue Lewis and Craven yeah. Williams and uh, Jeez. Um, Joe Bugner and uh, yeah. Terry Daniels, who was a uh, who was uh, these were all ranked fighters. Yeah. Who who do you consider yeah. to be the most difficult? Who was the the most challenging fight you had against? Um. Geez, that's 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 kind of that's, that's kind of uh, um, wow. I, I would have to really think about that one. I you know I, I've, I've often thought about that in, uh, in different circumstances and different things. You know, I uh, uh, I had a pretty good fight with Foreman, and, and uh, he he caught me a shot, and, and you know. Uh, I wanted to get back and I wanted to continue and they and they stopped the fight really prematurely. I was kind of mad. Oh, they stopped it, yeah. And George listed me as like the fourth heaviest hitter he's ever fought in the ring. Wow. So, you know, I had hurt him bad in the second round and I knew it. You know, it's just a, um, anyway, he would never fight me again. <laughs> you know, but I, he was, George was a good fighter. Um, I'll tell you, a guy that I, I had a lot of respect for, a, a, fighter, a kid I beat in, in, in London, Carl Gizzy, 
was the champ of Wales, mm -hmm. and uh, and he was a real good boxer. He was a good fighter. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if I showed up in shape, I never had any problem with anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I, you know, it's when I when I showed up uh, not in shape, and the guy I think that hit me the hardest of anybody, I uh, beat him down in Houston, Texas, was Cleveland Williams. Really? Yeah. Cleveland Williams could punch. I mean, he's the only guy I think that ever hit me that I could feel it the whole fight. You know, Jeez. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, just... thank God I was in I was in shape. I got in very good shape for the fight because they were they told me I could fight if I beat him. I could fight uh, Frazier, <clears throat> and uh, of course that never happened. I, I I beat Terry Daniels and I beat Cleveland Williams and I beat Terry Daniels. And they said you'd be fight one more good fighter. You can have the Frazier fight. And I said, well, you name the fighter in the place, I'll show up. Send me a ticket. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I fought Cleveland Williams, and, and I beat him in, in Houston, Texas. And uh, and Terry Daniels got the Frazier fight, and Cleveland Williams fought George Chabelle on the same card, I think. So. <clears throat> now, did you have... Just, uh, was the politics of boxing at the time. Yeah. Did you have management who took care of things, or did they call you personally? I had a great manager when I started, and... Uh, and then I had a man out of Boston who was really a nice man, Paul Matrano. He owned uh, Matrano Chevrolet in uh, Brockton and Northeastern. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I was just very, you know, no one could talk to me. That was, that was my own worst. Uh, so I, okay. I never listened to people. I, you know, I just, I, I had a lot of natural ability. I knew it. And I thought I could, you know, I could, I could fight 10 rounds at, at any day. I could walk off the street and fight some rounds. Jeez. You know, but it's, it's the way you fight it is, is the problem. Right. Know? Yeah. And I would fight anybody anywhere. I used to go in people's backyards and fight them in their own hometowns. And, uh, <laughs> and when you do that, you know, you're taking a jeopardy on yourself. You oh, know, yeah. I, uh, when I fought Norton down in San Diego, um, in the ninth round, I could have actually sat on the stool and won the fight. I mean, he, uh, the end of the ninth round, they were people were standing on the chairs. It was a great fight, probably one of the greatest heavyweight fights in California in a long time. Oh. And people were standing on the chairs screaming so loud, they rang the bell and nobody heard it. Oh, and they rang it three times to find the referee separated us. And, and I was going back to my corner and he ran across the ring and hit me behind the head. Oh, jeez. And drove me into the ring post. And, you know, the commissioner jumped up in my corner and said, well, if you can't continue, he said, you know, this you just won the fight. Uh, and I was so mad. I said, I said, you crazy? I'm going to kill it. And I went out in the 10th round. I said to myself, what am I doing here? You know, this is his hometown. And I cut him up pretty good. In fact, I think it was probably one of the few people that ever really cut Kenny. Kenny was a great fighter. Yeah. Kenny, was, Kenny was a tough kid. He was a good fighter. Jeez. But he would never fight me again either. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, but I, I won the town. I stayed there and beat some people that no one would fight. I won the California State title off a guy named Henry Clark, who was a real good fighter out of San Francisco. Norton or nobody would fight him. Huh. And uh, so, you know, it was a, it was an interesting career. It took me around the world, and you know, I, I met a lot of good people. And, and, uh, and from there, I went into the film business. Yeah. Now, you mentioned b before you actually were boxing, you, you were uh, playing football. Was that uh, semi-pro or pro? Or Well, you know, it was an era when you couldn't play with a pro team until your class graduated college. 
okay. And uh, and I went and uh, before my class graduated, and I, I I went up to the Jets, who Eubank quite liked me a lot, and uh, I redshirted, or they call redshirting. You played in the Eastern Professional Conference, like a semi-pro league. Mm-hmm. And we used to play like two or three games a week just to keep your levels up, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I, I, uh, I asked to be that they would let me go down to Philadelphia because I was becoming eligible to play. And Philly had a great young team, uh, and I had a lot of friends of mine that were playing down there. And Jerry Wallman had just bought the team, and, uh, and he hired a guy named Joe Q. Harrick. And, and, and unbelievable, this guy traded a championship football team away in like two months. I mean, he, he traded uh, Sonny Jurgensen and Tommy McDonald for Norman Sneed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he traded uh, five of the best young linebackers to Green Bay for Jim Ringo, a 31-year-old center. I mean, he just made ridiculous trades. Jeez. And wound up where you know all the youth and and the players. The other kid named Randy Beisler, who was who was a, a starting guard in his first year, they traded to San Francisco. He was All Pro eight years in a row. After that, a kid named Bruce Van Dyke, who was uh, from Missouri, and he was a, a, an amazing guard. And they traded him to Pittsburgh, and he was All Pro at Pittsburgh during the dynasty of seven years. You know, yeah, so, and they traded Maxi Bond and Irv Cross, and uh, Timmy Brown was the only one left. And I remember the day I walked away, Timmy said, "Yeah, trade me too." <laughs> and Joe Harrick, and it's, it's unbelievable. We traded the championship football, so football wasn't fun anymore. And Ali had just won the title, and there was a bunch of hype. And, and I said to a friend of mine, "You know, I said, yeah, I'll whoop, I could whoop them." <laughs> wow. He said, "Probably a good idea. Let's put you in the gym." So. And that's how my boxing career. So I was 23 when I tied on the first glove. Oh, jeez. Huh. And, uh, and and I couldn't box amateur because I was in a professional capacity. So, oh, okay. It, uh, yeah. In those days, you couldn't do that. You yeah. know, you, today you could do that. Today you could be a, a professional f- football player and box amateur and then go up into the perf- whatever. But right. you couldn't do that in those days. Yeah. So it was kind of an interesting uh, an interesting scenario. You know. The, um, I uh, I had some very good people in Philadelphia that trained me when I started. And mm-hmm. uh, there was a, a, a man named Marty Feldman who is still involved, I think, in boxing down there, and and an old trainer by the name of Gene Johnson who had like 320 fights. Jeez, he was, uh, and he got he he conditioned. I mean, I was in the greatest shape when I first started. I, I just I went from like. 285 pounds of football weight down to 226 pounds of boxing weight. Hmm. So I was like a piece of hard steel bounced off the ground, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Jeez. And it, uh, you know, and it was, I had a lot of promise in me, and, and I, you know, uh, but, you know, I was my own worst enemy, yeah. unfortunately. So after, the, you know, football and, and boxing, what, what made you decide to do acting? I mean, did you just one day say... Well, they, you know, they, they came to me to... Um, it came to me to do a picture in uh, 1968. They did The Great White Hope. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And they, I had just knocked out Manuel Ramos, who was number one ranked heavyweight in the world, who lived in L.A. And I fought out here in L.A., and I knocked him out. And um, and they uh, they wanted me to play uh, 
Jess Willard in the Great White Hope, and they thought it would be a great idea to get me into boxing and get me off the streets. <laughs> be, you know, and uh, and I I should have done it probably, and I, I I turned it down. I said, "Wow, you want me to go out of the country for six months?" And I just knocked out the number one ranked heavyweight, blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very foolishly. So, and I became very friendly with Steve McQueen when uh, they did the Thomas Crown affair in Boston. Oh, okay. And we looked after him up there, and, you know, and he, he and I became good friends. And he said, geez, you got to come to Hollywood. you got to come into the movie business, and, you know, we'll have a good time, and it'll be great. And, and I kept saying, no, 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 no. Then I I retired from boxing, and I was doing, I owned a couple construction companies down in South Jersey. And they called me on the phone one day and asked me, uh, there was a picture of Farewell, My Love, mm-hmm. with Robert Mitchell. Yeah. And uh, they, they said, you know, we have a, a great opportunity. They would love you to do this starring role next to Mitchum. And, and I uh, I looked around where I was at, and I said, you know what, maybe it's time. <laughs> and uh, and I came out here and did a screen test, and Robert said, it's either him or I don't do the movie. Wow. And, uh, and my career was off and running, you know. Mm-hmm. So how was it working with Robert Mitchum? I mean, your first movie out, you were with this huge star. <laughs> oh, he was great. He was, you know, he really, he walked me right down the street. I mean, he was, uh, he was a terrific individual. He uh, took me right by the hand and just taught me a lot about Hollywood. And probably the best acting coach a person could have ever had, you know? Really, yeah. Uh, and, and the picture worked really well. Um, and uh, you know he was he was just he was great he was terrific we became extremely good friends you know he, yeah. was, he was one of my best friends huh. God it was a great loss when he passed away oh yeah yeah, yeah. and you also were in King Kong right yeah King Kong we did uh, with Jessica Lang and uh, and uh, Jeffrey Bridges uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that was the second picture I did. And, God, we I broke a record at my at my agency because the picture was like eight months long. Uh, it was a long shoot. Yeah, where'd you and film it? It? Uh, it was a great script, a great cast, and a, and a very bad director, unfortunately. Oh, really? Picture should have been. Picture would have been brilliant had they had a, a better director. Mm, yeah, sometimes the director can really change the the whole feel of the film. Oh yeah, positively. Yeah. Where where did you film the Where did you film the King Kong? We filmed King Kong in in Los Angeles at MGM, oh. and then we shot uh, parts of it in Hawaii, uh-huh. and yep. then they shot part of it in New York. Yep. Um, yep. They uh, and they shot part of it in uh, Kansas, I believe, and I think a little bit in Canada. Uh, mm. All over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they. It, it, uh, no, wait a minute. King Kong, think of Superman. Hold it. No, King Kong. We did King Kong. We did in L.A. and Hawaii. L.A. and Hawaii. Yeah. Okay. Los Angeles and Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, what about uh, the part of non on Superman? Um, how did you get that part? Did was somebody looking at you for it? Did you have to go? Uh, well, I I, I was doing a movie. I did um, a film right after King Kong called March or Die, with Gene Hackman, Captain Denove, and oh, Gene, and the whole. And it was a Lou Grade picture, and Ellie Caster, who produced uh, Farewell, My Lovely, produced March or Die. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was on that movie. They they came to me to do um, the Jaws part of uh, in the Bond movies. 
Yes. And, um, yeah. and I turn it down. I, I, I didn't really like the being typecast as that type of character. And, yeah. Um, so I, I went ahead and did March or Die. And it was a entirely English crew. And half of them were going to go to work on Superman. So when I was on the picture and Gene Hackman was getting ready to go to do Superman, he said to me, geez, why don't you come up and see Richard Donner? There's a role in Superman they would really like to talk to you about. And I said, uh, okay. So we had a break and I went to London and we were filming in Spain. And, uh, and I uh, went up to London and uh, I saw Dick and... And uh, he was, you know, he said, would you do it? And I said, positively. I kind of like the idea. And why I did it was because Jackie Gleason had did a show called Gigo, where he was played a deaf mute. Mm -hmm. And he did it with body language and stuff. Yeah. And I always wanted to do a role where I could use body language and stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, and nine was perfect. And it's, uh, you know, like, it worked out. It worked very well. You know, we... Uh, so, it's very sad that Richard Donner didn't get a chance to to do uh, the second picture the way he wanted to. Mm, yeah, uh, I think it would have been much better, you know. Yeah, and the Donner cut proves that, you know. It's uh, but uh, you know, it's all kinds are the all kinds, and it was yeah. very sad. And Richard Lester's Richard Lester, and, mm. um, you know, just uh, Superman Two as good of a movie as it is, uh, a lot of that came from Donner's input, and Lester made it like a, a comedy, like, you know? Right, yeah, uh, it changed changed the whole feel of it, because yeah. the, the first and one when, had... But the, when you see the Donner cut, you see the original, what, what he wanted to do, and made it, and it was a much better picture. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's just sad, that because had Richard done Superman 2, he probably would have done 3 and 4, and the franchise would have been much healthier. Yeah, because the, the direction yeah. went comedy, I mean, definitely in 3 and 4, Oh, it was ridiculous. It, 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 uh, three was three was ludicrous, and four was a joke. Yeah, yeah, they just uh, went. Four the... was, I mean, I think I think Christopher wrote the script before. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? And and you your part in the original Superman was was a very short part, of course, you know. But um, now was it planned? Well, I just set the premise for the right. Set the premise for for the villains, and they were debating whether to bring us back before the end of the movie, you know? Yeah. So the plan was to make the second film uh, with you guys as the, the main characters? Oh, we did one and two together. Oh, you did them at the same time. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. In fact, in fact, they got, Donner got so hooked up doing two, they had to force him to stop so that he could... Um, finish one because they had a release date you know? oh yeah yeah and that's why the donner cut was able to be shown because he had shot 80 percent of the movie oh jeez, wow and then when they brought lester in according to the dga you had to to be a director of uh, of record on the picture you had to shoot more than 50 percent of it now being on uh, superman um yeah. you got a chance to work with marlon brando uh, uh, what a great guy. Yeah, what was it I mean, like to work for him? Guy. Marlon was a trip. I love Marlon. Marlon was a very classy man. Mm -hmm. 
he uh, Marlon um, was a real pro. Yeah, okay. and like Mitchum, and you know, and Marlon couldn't wait to meet me because I have a, an interesting background in New York, and he knew my family and stuff. And uh, uh, he was, uh, you know, Marlon was a fight boxing, a boxing freak. He loved boxing. Oh, okay, yeah. And when I came, uh, you know, Robert Mitchum said to me, "You got to go see him." You know. You got to go down and see him well, as soon as he hits the set, you know. And so when he went down, I went down to see him. He was harassed, surrounded by press and all that stuff. And he stopped everybody. He jumped out, hey, Jack. <laughs> and we became very good friends, you know. And he was a, he's a brilliant actor and a class man. I mean, when Marlon Brando walks on the set, you could hear a pin drop. Mm, I'm sure, jeez. But he had such class. You know, he would come in and say hello. He reminded me of Mitch. He would say hello to every person on the set and say goodbye to them when he left at night. Wow, just a great guy, yeah. Yeah, and he um, and just a, a really class guy, you know. And I, I remember one day we were uh, I was sitting there watching him work. And he, was, he did something I never saw anybody do before. He was into a shot. And something in the camera went raw, and they they said, "Oh, we got to do it again." And Marlon Marlon was so into it, he said, "No, no, you just fix what you got to do." And he turned around and he came right back into the camera while it was still running. Hmm. Something with the sound was off, and while it was still running, and he just completed the shot. But he had cue cards everywhere. I mean, they were all over the place. Oh, really? And he came off the set, and I said to him, you know, what's the deal with the cue cards? I mean, I said, are you that bored with the industry that, you know, you have to have cards all around you? And he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I, I started that with Mutiny on the Bounty because I didn't want the camera to look like I, I had practiced the lines. I wanted to look like I was taking them right out of reality, out of the air. And I said, well, man, I said... I said, you know, Marlon, I said, that's a bunch of pop. I said, you know, and he looked at me and he laughed and he ripped off several parables of Shakespeare. He was a great Shakespearean actor. Yeah. And he, and he looked at me and he said, that you must know word for word. This stuff, piece of cake. Jeez. Meaning the film industry, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was, um, he was just, uh, he was such a brilliant, I mean, he had such a presence. Mm-hmm. It was, a, it was amazing. Yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What about, you said you had worked with Gene Hackman before, so how was it working with Gene again in, in another film? Uh, Gene's a great guy. I mean, we, we did a picture in, in the desert called March or Die uh, for about six months, and then we went on that, on the Superman, and we, we were good friends. I like Gene a lot. Gene, Gene's another very talented actor. Oh, you know, yes. he, he, um, he's very methodical, uh, what he does, and he, you know, he just, he's very good, he's a very good actor. Yeah. Uh, I like Gene quite a bit. I was very lucky in, in my film career to to have worked with uh, 
some really fine actors in the beginning, which really helped me tremendously. Oh yeah, some of the giants. I mean, you know, Marlon Brando. You can't you can't get much bigger than that. No, Brando was great, and you know, and and March or Die. I worked with Max von Sydow and uh, Ian Holm, and uh, it was a great cast uh, yeah. with Hackman, and you know, it was just a lot of Catherine Deneuve, and yeah. there were uh, a lot of great European actors on on the picture, and uh, Marcel Bezuffi, and. Um, you know, so I, I've been very lucky in my life. I've, yeah. I've been around some very good pictures all the way down through the character actors, you know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you know, we read a lot of different things on the Internet and everything. We hear stories. Is it is it true that you and Christopher Reeves didn't get along? Is that is that uh, true? Well, Christopher was, uh, Christopher was a nice kid. When he was young, he was young in his mind. And he had never done anything before. Mm-hmm. And the Superman thing, you know, was he really went into his head. He just couldn't shut it off. He was Clark Kent Superman yeah. all the time. You know? And, you know, he really was very good at it. He's the best Superman they'll ever find. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would... He should have stuck by Donner, and they would have done like ten Supermen, and and Christopher would have been immortalized. And even though he's an icon from the two pictures that he did, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, um, he would have been three people look as kind of a joke. And four is really ridiculous, but one and two made him an icon, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And had they done three and four as good as the first two, then he would have been down in history as one of the greats, you know what I mean? Oh, yes, yeah, I'm sure. But he had it in his mind that he became this all-American actor. <laughs> you know, and he, he could do this or that. And anyway, you know, but he, well, he and I had a couple of run-ins, you know, it just, you know, it happens. And, yeah. You know, he, uh, yeah. he made a mistake and said the wrong thing to me one day, and, you know, so we, we sorted it out. But, you know, he was all right. Christopher was harmless, you know. Yeah. He was, he was his own worst enemy. And, you know, sometimes people become uh, from nowhere to being really somewhere. And he had went to the Juilliard system. He was friends with uh, with Robin Williams. They went to school together. And, you know, and, uh, he... He became a star, you know, overnight. Oh, and, yeah. you know, that stuff goes to your head a little bit. Yeah. In some people's cases, you know. Mm-hmm. And in his, it did, you know. And, and it was sad because I think that that attitude is what killed him. Huh. You know, or actually put him in the, in the position of, of the accident that he happened because he wasn't that good a horseman. And he was on a horse that he shouldn't have been on. And he didn't have a helmet and he refused to wear it, you know. He, like this macho attitude and stuff like that, and and, and accidents happen, yeah, and unfortunately it did. Yeah. Hmm. Now, were you a fan of the whole Superman story growing up? You know, the comics and the films and oh, the, yeah. the TV I mean, show. What, what young American boy was it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a. It was the American icon. I mean, geez, you know. Yeah. The part of non was it, it looked very physical. Uh, from what you know, from the viewers' aspect, uh, were you involved with a lot of the the stunts that were going on or anything, or did they have stunt people? I did people? them all. Oh, you did them all. I did the majority of them. Yeah. 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 Huh. Do you ever get hurt or anything? Or no. No. Well, I was a pretty good athlete. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were you were trained. You you knew what you were doing. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty. Good. I mean, I I I, I like doing my own stunts. It, it makes it. 
you know, it's a much more believable situation, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no. The, uh, and we had, I mean, we had a lot of laughs, times, the flying shots that we did, and they, uh, we were in these harnesses, and they had uh, people pulling us along, like on ropes, yeah. you know? Um, and they and the harnesses we had, and then we were on these thin piano wires, and I and, I, and we're looking down at the floor in the, in the sound stage at the Pinewood, mm-hmm. and you know you're 35 feet up in the air, and you're looking at concrete below you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to the guy, "How you know what happens if one of these wires breaks?" Oh no, that can't happen. So I started doing flips and stuff, you know. <laughs> It would get a little bit nuts, boy. You know, so we break up the, the poor turrets. Oh my God, what are you going to do? You're going to get us killed. You know, we, we, we had a lot of fun. You know, when you're, it's a tedious picture working on a picture like that because sure. we broke a lot of barriers technology-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we did it the hard way. You know, and they, and so it took a long time shooting scenes, and it took uh, and repeating it over and over again and uh yeah. it was it was a tedious picture well the thing is so you had to do something to break up the you know. yeah and nowadays i mean they don't i mean it's all done with computers and everything well, it's all but, cgi now yeah. right but you you guys were like you say hanging from wires <laughs> we did the real thing i mean we when we shot what they called uh, uh zone's optic vision was a uh, shooting Vista Vision on Vista Vision, and we had a like a seventy foot screen, mm-hmm. and they put pole arms through the screen and body cast, and laid us in them, and dressed us, and we were just you know we're looking down at seventy feet below concrete, you know, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and Terrence was oh my God, he said what if this breaks and stuff, oh, my Lord. so we had, and but they they shot us into the film so. When you see us doing the flying shots in the fight over 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 Metropolis, and we're flying underneath the bridges and around buildings, yeah, and people said, "Wow, how did you do that with without wires and stuff?" You know, that's how they did it, and it was but it was very slow and tedious, and and took a period of time to do it. Yeah, you know? it's amazing. Jeez, yeah. do people still recognize? No, it really worked. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Did people still recognize you as as non from the Superman movies? Oh God, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, you know, you become an icon. You know, oh yeah, it's, it's it's a picture that it's a picture that has lived. I mean, children watch it today and get as much of a kick out of it as the day that was it was released. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm so sure. you have like three generations of people that have you know that, that picture was done thirty years ago for God's sake. Right, jeez, it doesn't seem and, like it was that long. <laughs> And it still stands up as good as anything they're doing today. Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, better. In fact, Superman 2 has a better look than any of the last Superman. Mm-hmm. I mean, forget about it. Yeah. Superman 2's heads over heels are better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had all that CGI, and that's what they, they overdid the CGI. Yeah. I, I mean, I, they spent all that money, and you would think they would have come up with a better script. And how how dare they change the costume? Yeah. And how could you take the American way out? I mean, that's you're talking about an American icon. Yeah. For gosh sakes, you know. Yeah. So I, I I was really disturbed at some of the things that were done, and uh, 
you know, and they made Lois Lane look like a hooker, you know. Right. <laughs> and she, you know, she went off, had this baby and all that stuff. And, you know, I just, I said, wow, man, you know, where's, where's the real American story that, you, that was there? You I know, know. It's, it, it really changed the whole aspect of the, the movie. So now they're going to reboot it. They're coming back with the new Zod, Nan, and Ursa. Yes, <laughs> and they're yes. Try to regrow. They're going to try to regrab the the Superman fan base, and I hope they. I really hope they do the film well, mm-hmm. so that they give it justice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the, for their sake, they're going to have to. Because people never forgot Superman two. They just think it's one of the greatest pictures made. Yeah. A- any chance that that they might have you in as a cameo or anything like that? You know? You ever? People are talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That would be neat. Yeah. You know, they're talking about. And they're, they were talking about Sarah playing one of the villain women or something. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, uh, and Terrence, I, I mean, Terrence, uh, he probably would do it. I don't know. You know, I, I would do it if they came up to me with the right situation, probably. Right, yeah. Earlier off the air here, we were talking about, uh, you, you've got a book coming out, I understand? I have a book coming out called Family Legacy. And it's, uh, it's a story about America. You know, it's a, it's a time in America when a group of people were enforced that this country will never see again. Uh, my father, my real father, was uh, was one of the more nefarious Italians ever to come into the country. Uh, Albert Anastasia, um, who was the head of Murder Incorporated in New York, and he was the head of the Gambino family. And he uh, he was partners with Charlie uh, Luciana and Frank Costello and Meyer Lansky, and it was an era in this country when the country was a lot better off. I mean, the streets were safer. and you know, your, your children could go out and play in the streets. where They can still where you live at. You know, right. <laughs> in major cities, you know, most kids, I mean, when I, was a, when I was a young boy, you could go out and play in the street all day and night. You know, played stickball and you rode right. your bike. You did whatever you wanted and you never had a problem. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, a mother could leave a baby pram outside and no one would ever steal a baby or there was never there was never a problem right yeah you know and you let you didn't have to lock your front doors mm-hmm. yeah you know what i mean yeah so it's a, you know it was actually a time when things were much better so it's a story that tells um about myself growing up in the in the shadow of my father and 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 the people that raised me and and um how I handled it and how things happened in this country. And it, it takes place from 1957 to 1963. And, and, and I tell the truth about the Kennedy assassination. So, so when is the book coming out? November the 8th. November 8th, yeah. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned that uh, there might be a film coming connected with that? No, there's a definite film. We're, we've already written the script, and it's very good. And... Uh, and the script will come out. I mean, the film will probably, if we get lucky, we might get it out before the end of the year. But I doubt it. Probably following year. Yeah, yeah. In the spring or something. But it's uh, it's going to be um, it's going to be a great movie. It's it's, it's actually you know we have a, we're very lucky. We wrote it. We we got away. With the script came out really well, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are very excited about it. Yeah, sounds and we're like we're putting together the components now. We're just getting ready to go into pre-production, and uh, and people are going to love the picture because very rarely, every once in a while, you get a picture 
that makes stars, like the Godfather did. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. And uh, usually, the most of the product made today, somebody says, "Oh, it's a Bobby De Niro picture, or it's a Jennifer Aniston picture, or you know." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they try to wrap the movie around a star, and, and they, they haven't been very lucky lately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or a Johnny Depp picture, you know, something like that. But so rarely, once in a while, you see a picture that actually stands up on its own legs. You know, mm-hmm. yep, and um, that's what this will do. It should be should do very well. It's gonna it's gonna tell a lot of things about history, uh, about things that happened in the nation in the country, and and it's one of a of a of a, of a trilogy that I'm going to do. Uh, it's gonna be a trilogy of books. It'll be a trilogy of movies, and there'll probably be several other movies that'll come out of the movies, and it's going to uh, play on the, on American history and tell the truth about a lot of things that people have been blindsided with, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that sounds interesting. Yeah, that'll be good. Well, well Jack, I, I appreciate you taking so much time, uh, but I, I want to finish up with two final questions. Sure. And we're going to move away from all your boxing and, and acting and everything, and you personally, what are your favorite TV shows of all time? What do you enjoy watching? <laughs> That's, uh, geez, you know, that's, um, wow. Um, I gave you a left jab there, right? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not a real TV buff, but I, you know, some of the older shows I enjoyed more than what they do today, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, but I like, uh, like I, I was, I, I thought the Tudors was very well done. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sopranos to me was an insult to my heritage. I, I, didn't, I wasn't all that keen on what they did, the way they did it, but it was very, very successful because everybody loves organized crime, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's, uh, I mean, I, I like Dexter. Yeah, yeah. Dexter, I find to be an amazing, uh, pretty good. He's a very good actor, the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was younger, I, I you know, I, uh, I don't know the. Um, God, that's a tough question. <laughs> there was, uh, there were. Uh, I, I never really got hooked into uh, uh, sticking your mug in front of the television set for hours of the day. You yeah. know, watching, uh, being hooked on watching the show over and over and over again. You yeah. know? Well, what, what about? Uh, I probably, I like the born. Free, I like watching movies on on television because I, I study them. So yeah. Well, that was the next question. What's your favorite movies of all time? I, you know, I love Farewell, My Lovelace. I, I just think it's a great classic movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because I was in it or which I made great friends on it, but just a well-done picture. I mean, you had five Oscar people that worked on the crew. And, uh, Dean Calaveras won the Oscar for for set design for The for the Godfather. And uh, John Alonzo was a cinematographer who won the Oscar for Chinatown. Uh, the Westmores were on it, who were makeup artists, uh, Oscar winners. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, a, it, was, it was an amazing crew and an amazing experience. And, and, you know, to work with Mitchum and John Ireland and Harry Dean Stanton and uh, Charlotte Rampling, uh, it was a great cast. Oh, yeah, quite a cast. You know, uh, and it was really just a great experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, The Godfather 2 has got to be one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Um, the awesome. Superman movies one and two, I, I enjoy. No, I could still sit and watch them. You know. Yeah. Um, I like. 
the born experience, born identity. Mm-hmm. I think yep. they did a great job with uh, that whole series. Yeah. So, um, they're uh, you know, and then I, you know, I, I like uh, lighter things. Like I, I enjoy Eastwood, whatever he does. Clint, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Clint, Clint's a great actor, and I love Brando. I mean. Uh, one of the greatest pictures that I, uh, I think that I've, I've seen and I have to put up in the high rankings is One Eye Jack. One Eye Jack, yeah. What about On the Waterfront? You like that one? On the Waterfront was a brilliant picture. Yeah. 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 And there's a great picture, you know, called The Informer that I've written a script on that we're going to do another adaption of the book. Really? Which uh, which was was the John Ford picture. Yeah. So I, I liked. Um, I like for, I like the older pictures, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. The things that were done, the classics. You know, I like John Ford as an act as an actor. I mean, as a director, and, and uh, I like uh, Houston. Yes. Um, some of the old directors were were brilliant. Oh you know, yes. They uh, they, uh, they knew how to make movies. Oh yeah, the, the things know? they could do then. You know, just just through the direction as opposed to with all the special effects and everything you know it's just oh a... yeah i mean you you look at uh i, I give you a picture mitch and did called cape fear oh yes <laughs> which was i mean brilliantly yeah. done and the, the remake was diabolical but yeah mitchum's mitchum's version was brilliant yeah and then he did a picture that he was uh nominated for with uh charles Lott. Mm-hmm. Um, where he played the preacher with love and hate on his hands. Mm-hmm. It was a oh god, what that was name. It was a great picture. I mean, some of the westerns, the old westerns, I kind of liked, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, Eastwood was Eastwood was good light picture watching the any which way you can or oh, Dirty Harry or yeah. he was just good at everything he did. Yeah. Just a, yeah. He's just that kind of an actor. And he's that kind of a director. Yeah. You mentioned you know? um, Robert Mitchum from Cape Fear and it's like the first time I saw that movie I hated Robert Mitchum from then on. <laughs> not, not, as a, not as a person but I mean you know he, he just seemed oh, yeah. such like a bad oh, guy. He, he, he could make you believe what he was doing. That's oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, he was a uh, uh, Robert was terrific. I mean, he was probably the most underrated actor in America uh, of his time. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. he was a brilliant actor and just an amazing individual. Yeah. Probably one of the probably one of the best well-read individuals I ever met in my life. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He was. Uh, I mean, he he could. You know, <laughs> used to sit and talk to him, and I, and I would. I would try to say, tell, top a story of his, you know, or, or tell him about a place that I had been. And he would have read about this city or something, this town in a book, and, and, and I'd be talking about being walking down the street, and he said, oh, they still have the bakery in the center of the street and stuff. And, and he was never there. He read it in a book, and we used to laugh about it, you know, and he was, uh, yeah. <laughs> he was, I spent a lot of time with him, and he was just an incredible individual. Jeez. The stories that he told me were phenomenal. Oh, I can imagine. Jeez. He was he was very close to Howard Hughes. Hmm. Wow. A lot of fun stories about Hughes and stuff. And you know, he taught me about the industry, the people in it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Which was great. Yeah. But I yeah, the, 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 I like the old movies, I like his old movies. I like uh, Jimmy Stewart's a great actor and a oh. nice gentleman he was. He was terrific. Yeah. You know, uh, well, Brando was Brando was Brando. Yeah. He's a hard guy to beat. Mm-hmm. Well, Jack, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. This this has been a, a lot of fun and fascinating to hear hear you tell our story, tell your stories. I mean, it's, it's just listen. It's my pleasure, you know, and uh, I hope uh, I hope the show you know continued success. 
And uh, if I can ever, um, if I can ever help you, uh, you know, just give me a call. Stay in touch, man. And I want to thank Jack O'Halloran so much for taking the time to talk to us. Great guest, and he's just had so many great stories to tell us. It's uh, you know a lot of fun to hear those things. And uh, that is about it. Uh, remember to check us out on Facebook and uh, just go to onscreenandbeyond.com. You can scroll right down to the bottom, and we have a link right there. You can click on it and go to us. Friend us, like us, whatever you want to call it. And uh, when you get there, uh, you know, check us out, see what's going on. And also, um, if you have a suggestion that you would like to have us find a person to be a guest on On Screen or Beyond, a favorite show or a favorite movie or something, uh, an actor or musician or whatever, send it to us. We'll see if we can find that person and get them on the air with us. So uh, we'll see what we can do for you. And we have another great guest coming your way next week, so I hope you're going to stick around for that and join us. Until then, this is a wrap for this week. See you next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond. Till then, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. <music>